In the world of travel, things are constantly changing. There's always something to learn about the places we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations, a podcast designed for students of travel. Welcome to DBE. I'm your host, Stevie G, and I want to start off the show by sharing that this past Tuesday, I was asked to host an online event that featured comedian Mark Malkov, and it went really well. I know some of you were there as attendees, and it was great to virtually see you. I hope the session was valuable to you. I certainly learned a lot from it. And later on in the show, I'll share some info on the next online event from Kaleidoscope Adventures, which is going to be a really good one. By the way, Mark hosts the Carson podcast, which features guests that Johnny Carson had on his show back in the day. So go give that podcast a listen. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to Destinations Beyond Expectations, because every time somebody clicks subscribe, it helps DBE reach more students of travel. Last thing before we get to the interview, I've really enjoyed diving headfirst into this whole podcasting thing. It's been a great way for me to grow my personal brand. If you are thinking about starting your own podcast, I'd say stop thinking about it and just go for it. I use Buzzsprout to host DBE, and I'm truly satisfied and confident with their platform. Check the show notes for a link to start your own podcast through Buzzsprout. Signing up through that link supports the show, and if you sign up for a paid plan, you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card. All right, guys, how about we visit a continent that hasn't really been covered yet on this show? Let's go. You guys know that music. Yes, we are doing another Destination Rewind. Remember my friend Alex from a couple weeks ago? Well, she is back to talk about a really fun trip she took to Australia and New Zealand. Enjoy the show. Alex, welcome back to Destinations Beyond Expectations. It's so great to chat with you again. Hi, thanks for having me again. So you took a really cool trip um, in a place that I really haven't covered much in the show yet. And um, man, like before we get into the day by day uh, kind of schedule that you did, you went to Australia and New Zealand. Is that something you'd recommend for people? This was the greatest trip I've ever been on in my entire life. And I would recommend to everyone to go, even if they don't have any interest in going. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, I guess let's let's start uh, going through the trip. So take me to the start of the trip. Uh, walk me through the, how you began your adventure. Day one. Okay. So if you listen to the last podcast, I talked about how I had that partnership with EF and that's how we traveled. So it was a group tour. Um, so we started off, you know, in the airport and we spent a long time on the planes. So we flew to Houston from Pittsburgh, which was about three hours, nothing too big. And then we flew from Houston to Auckland, New Zealand, which was about 18 hours. Can I interrupt then, really quick? What was that plane ride like? Because that's, is that the longest plane ride you, you'd ever been on in your life? Yeah, uh, it was, it was long. Uh, we flew with um, Air New Zealand and they were a great company. I've never obviously rode with them before until this trip. Um, the seats 
reclined a little bit farther than normal, uh, but still not as far as I'd like them to. Um, <laughs> but you were able to stand up, kind of walk, stretch your legs. The plane was absolutely huge. It was, you know, three seats and then four seats and then three seats across. Uh, so lots of seats across. Um, you had, you know, your, your touchscreen video that you could watch all of the movies that were in the theater. You had your service button where you could like in the middle of the night, click the button and say that you wanted someone to bring you a diet Coke and they would bring it to you. Um, and then you had your airport meals, which they weren't bad, but you know, I wouldn't (laughs) ever say I want to eat airport food, Sure. but for airplane food, you know, it was decent airplane food. So you take this long 18-hour plane ride, and then you land. Remind me where you land again. So we landed in Auckland, but that's not where our final destination was at first. Uh, We then had a little layover, so we just kind of hung out in the airport, and then we had a final five-hour flight to Cairns, Australia, which was our first destination point for the trip. So at this point, how many, are you still like one, is this considered day one of travel or where, how would you define that? So this is considered day two. Day two. So whenever we traveled, we, I can't remember the exact day that we left, but it was June. Um, Let's say we left June 11th. Um, We completely skipped a day on the plane. It was June 11th. And then whenever we crossed, crossed the international borderline it was june 13th with the time change so we completely lost june 12th and we never lived that day which was kind of really weird yeah Uh, and so then this was considered day two of travel for us by the time that we landed and we were moving over to Cannes, this was now june 13th our second day of travel um and we got there pretty early in the morning So even though we were super jet lagged, we had the whole day ahead of us to now do different like excursions. Cool. So you get to Cannes. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. So you get there and I guess what's the first thing you do when you arrive? So when we arrived, um, after going through customs, of course, we went to our hotel, we unloaded, and we just took a minute to like shower because we felt real nasty because <laughs> we just sat on a plane. Um, my feet were so swollen from just like sitting with them like in the air forever. So we just took a hot second to like chill and, and relax. Um, and then after about like an hour or two at the hotel, we all met down in the lobby and we just walked to a museum for the night. Now keep in mind, this trip is going on in June, which is actually winter time in the Southern Hemisphere. This was a part that didn't get cold, it didn't get snow, so it was about 80 degrees. So that was also the interesting thing. I had to pack for Cairns, which was, you know, summery-ish weather, and then I had to pack for everywhere else that was winter time. So I had all four seasons in my bag. Hmm. Um, so we walked to the the museum, and it just kind of had like, history was a really really tiny little museum and it showed about how they're getting tourism from the great barrier reef and it showed how people used to live back then and different jobs that they used to have so that was kind of you know it was neat but we were also extremely tired at that time and and my brain completely forgets most (laughs) of the things in that museum from that day 
So you went to the museum and that was about it then for day number two. Yeah. So day number two, that was the only main thing on our itinerary. Uh, we did have a scheduled dinner somewhere and we, whenever we travel with EF, if we're going to a big restaurant that has a menu, you can pre-choose your food before you leave for the trip so that when you get there, the food is like ready and they're bringing it out to you. So we went to dinner at, um, I think it was called Outback Jack's. Uh, and I just got like pasta and it was amazing. And there was some really good calamari there. And, um, the rest of the night she kind of just said is free time. We could go and we could explore the local blocks around us. So there were some cute little shops and like little tents that were set up. Uh, my brother went on the trip and he got like, uh, and I don't even know if they're eels. He got like a kind of like a pedicure where you put your feet in and the fish like eat the dead skin off of your feet. Oh, that's cool. So I sat and watched him and took pictures and of course FaceTimed our family because I was grossed out and he was grossed out. It was funny. And then they just had like desserts and we just walked around and kind of explored for the evening. You didn't want to do an eel pedicure? I'm a hard pass on that. (laughs) What did your brother say? Did he did like it? Did he enjoy it? Was it just weird for him? He said it was weird. He said it tickled, uh, but he he did say that his feet felt very smooth. He tried to get me to do it, but I was not about that <laughs> at all. <laughs> too funny. Okay, so I guess that's the that's pretty much it for day two, right? Yes, that is it. Cool. So now on to day three. Day three. Uh, so day three was a big day. This was the Great Barrier Reef for us. So we woke up, had some breakfast at the hotel. Um, our tour guide that went on our tour with us was the greatest tour guide in the world. And she, of course, wanted us to experience every part of Australia that we could. Uh, they have something, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I think it's called Vegemite. Yeah. Um, they had it in like tiny little, you know how like our hotels here have little jelly packets? Yes. They had Vegemite packets. And she's like, okay, everybody, like everybody, you have to make a piece of toast this morning, you have to spread your Vegemite on it and try it. Um, <laughs> I, I was not a fan along with everyone else on our tour, but everyone in Australia loves it. So it must just be that our taste buds have not been exposed enough. Uh, cause that is like the main, the main jam over there. Can you describe maybe what it tastes like? Because I, I've heard of Vegemite. I've never personally had it, but I know it's a super Australian thing. It's like, so it's like, veg, like I guess, vegetable type things, like in almost like a Nutella consistency form that you like spread. It was extremely salty and had like a very like tangy, bitter taste. And it was just like the minute that it touched your tongue, you knew if you liked it or you didn't like it. It's just very strong, very, very strong taste. And <laughs> I did not like it. Okay, but you're pro- are now. you glad that you tried it, though? Are you glad that you tried it? Of course. And I, of course, stole packets of it and put it in my suitcase to take home to make my family <laughs> try. Because it's Australian. And it was cool. Did anybody in your family enjoy it? No. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm like bashing on the Vegemite, but every, a lot of people do like it. So don't ever not try it. You have to try it if you ever go. Everybody has to try it. Yes, I like that. I like that advice. So after yeah. you have your Vegemite spread sandwich, what's next? 
Uh, so then we got on the bus and we have like a charter bus that takes us around and it drove us to the shore. And there's, a, am sure, tons of different travel companies that take you out to their part of the reef that they have. So we waited for our boat. We kind of sat for an hour while they got like all 80 of us, our tickets and our life vests and just got prepared. And then we got onto the boat and it was just kind of a nice little like two hour. You can go out and stand on top of the boat while you're on your way out to the reef. You can take pictures. They stopped at a couple different places to let other people get on and off. Um, and then once we got there, there was a big like, so hard to explain, like a big structure in the middle of the ocean that had like a place for their boat to dock. And then there were water slides. There was like a little area of seating for people to like eat. They served lunch on the boat for us. There was a rental for like wetsuits if you wanted to get into the water, which we all did, but we didn't get the wetsuits um, just because it was pretty decent temperature outside. So um, when we got there, we had a chance to get off the boat, explore, take some pictures. And of course we were on that little structure because we were in the middle of the ocean. And there was a marine biologist there that we got a chance to go snorkeling with. Um, so we got our snorkel gear on. We got in the water, which was very cold, but it was still cool. Um, and we got a chance to go and snorkel and see the um, the reef. And I have to say, my my expectation of the reef was like Finding Nemo level yeah. reef. Um, it was not colorful like Nemo. And they said that that's good because if it's colorful, that means it's it doesn't have enough, I think, protein and keratin. Okay. So I was, oh, I was like, well, darn it. But I guess I'm glad it's healthy. Like, <laughs> sure. So it was reef, but it wasn't quite as uh, vibrant as Pixar had me expect it. But the fish there, there was tons of fish. There was one fish that was absolutely ginormous. And I'll have to send a picture for you to attach. Um, that they basically had trained. Like the fish would come around and it would pose for pictures with you. Like they would take underwater pictures and the fish would pose. It was crazy. My brother got a picture with this fish and I just can't even believe it. That's so cool. And I think your brother's really enjoying the marine life. I mean, we're on day, what, three now and he's had an eel pedicure and he's had a picture with a fish. Like he's just loving the marine life, isn't he? Yeah, he sure is. And a fun fact here, did you know clams are in the mollusk family? They had these huge clams on like on the ocean floor that somebody would jump out of the boat and swim down and touch it and it would close. I would say it was it would be like the size of like half of my car. Like it was that huge. And then um, on the structure, when you got off the boat, they also had someone who did a like a live marine demonstration where they would go out and they would you know, pick up as much marine life as they can off the ocean floor. They brought it back onto the structure and put it in like a big glass viewing box. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of like picked each thing up and they let you touch it. And they explained what it was and talked about their, like their purpose and what they do in the, in the reef. Was that kind of cool. Was that presentation done by a different person than your, the initial marine biologist that you guys uh, went with? Yeah. Yeah. There were probably like, 10 or 12 workers on this structure and they all had their, their own different, um, duty to be done that day. So this was a different one. 
So I remember too, last time we, we chatted that you had mentioned part of the reason that you love EF so much is because I guess part of their branding or, or part of who they are is based on education. Um, did you learn a lot with like, you know, doing the presentation and being with that marine biologist? Did you feel like you really learned a lot uh, at oh, the Great Barrier Reef? Absolutely. I learned a ton. Um, even just like the small things, like why it wasn't as colorful as it was supposed to be. I learned uh, what some animals were that I've never seen before. Uh, there's just, it was constant learning. And even if it wasn't learning, like physically being taught, I was learning culturally just by being there and being immersed in the experience for sure. Now I want to ask a question. This might sound like a dumb question, but I, I just want to make sure I'm kind of understanding this right. Isn't, isn't the great barrier reef like super protected, right? Like you, you cannot take peach, pieces of coral or any shells or anything like that. Yes, it is super protected. You can't take anything. And everything that they took out of the reef during that presentation went right back in whenever they were done. Um, so I I know that the, the only way to get out there was to go with this company. So I'm sure that it would be very difficult to access the reef if you weren't going with some type of a company that has their protected area. So like they had a they owned this whole area of the reef and no one else was allowed to come to that area because that was the area that they had and they had to keep it clean. So they were very protective about it and, you know, told us, please, like, if you have your, if you're floating, try not to kick off of the rocks, like try to just like swim away from them. So they were very um, good about helping us also treat it right. And it was very interesting because when we first got there in the morning, the water level was, you know, it was high tide. But by the end of the day, it was low tide, and the reef was actually sticking out of the top of the ocean oh. from where we were, which was interesting. Cool. So yeah. how much how much time did you spend at the reef uh, on day three? I think it was about five hours, and then plus like the the there and back on the boat to get there. So that was basically like our whole day. Your whole day. So you had did you have dinner on the way back on the boat, or did you guys go somewhere as a group? Uh, we went just somewhere as a group for dinner. They had fed us lunch on the boat. We had breakfast before we went. And then we had dinner later at night. We went home and we showered and got all of the, you know, ocean off of us. And then um, we met like, like an hour and a half or so later for dinner. Um, and we just kind of like walked to a different part of the of the little city that we were in um, and kind of saw like a different aspect of their nightlife. Um there was one tree there. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever heard that like Australia has super huge bugs, snakes, like yeah. crazy. Thank God I didn't see any because that might change my opinion because I'm terrified of bugs. But she was basically like, you know, if you see something moving in the bush, just kind of step away. And I was like, am I going to die? <laughs> um, I felt very safe. But there was a tree that was completely leafless although we thought it had leaves and she's like if you take a look at that tree over there that's covered in bats and the tree was covered in bats to the point where we thought they were leaves and then like there had to be thousands of bats on this tree it was just so cool i was like i've never seen that many bats in one place in my life it was very interesting that's so unique now i want to ask because this is the second night in a row that you've had dinner and then gone out to kind of experience what you know, the, the town and the life is in Australia. Did you feel safe 
or at any point, like, did you feel unsure, or uncertain about the area, or were you, did you feel totally safe and you were just glad to be out and learning about Australia? I felt super safe. And luckily for us, we started in Cairns. Like, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you start in Auckland. It just depends on, like, the flight schedule. But Cairns was a very small, small town. And the group that we went with is from a small town. So it wasn't like you had to be able to navigate the city streets and, like, you know, navigate all of the crosswalks and the metro. Like, it was just there weren't that many places to go. And it was very easy to find your way back to the hotel. So, of course, the tour guide said, if you're not comfortable going off, you can stay with me. If you are comfortable going off, you know, they had a buddy system. It had to be at least groups of three. And a chaperone had to be around because for every six students that are on the trip, there's one adult. So, um, like, we always had an adult with us. And it was, we we definitely felt safe. And we felt like we knew where we were going because it was such a small area at this point. Cool. So you see a bat tree, and then is that it for your uh, day three? Yes, bat tree ended the day strong there. Kaleidoscope Adventures is launching their second ever online event. This one is featuring marketing guru Cynthia Johnson, and she's going to be talking all about how to create a personal brand that will set you up for success. You can register by clicking the link in the show notes, And this event is taking place on October 15th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Because you listen to this show, you can use the code DBE20 to receive 20% off when you sign up. Not only will Cynthia be presenting, but she'll also do some Q&A, so get your questions ready. Remember, DBE20 when you register. Now back to my interview with Alex. Day four. Day four was our final day in Cairns. Um, This was our final full day. And this was a super awesome excursion. So whenever you sign up to go on a trip with EF, in addition to the itinerary that they have, they have additional optional excursions. And this was the day of you either have a whole day to yourself to do whatever you want, or you can take the optional um, Skyrail train to Karanda. And so that's what we did. Um, We woke up early, early in the morning, had breakfast in the hotel again. And then we went to the train station and there was a train that took us up, like up a mountain. And um, then we got on those, um, I guess it's a sky rail, like those little like pods that are on like a big zip line. It's kind of like a chairlift, but like it's enclosed. Cool. And we were like, thousands of feet in the air like some people who are not a fan of heights may have had a slight heart attack because you were completely over the trees and it took you up to a um, place called Karanda which was a wildlife kind of like a wildlife reserve and this is where we got to hold the koala bears oh my gosh can you have to go in detail about this because I'm a huge animal person and like koalas are awesome this was like the main like my main thing about this trip was like, I wanted to hold a koala and I know that it's, it's a lot of places are not letting people do that anymore. So there's only a few places around that, that lets you hold them. And this was one of them. So when we got there, there's of course tons of things. It was, um, there were people outside playing something called a didgeridoo, yes. which is like a very like long, 
it was very cool. I have no idea how they play them. Uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it. You just got to YouTube it because it's, it's very cool. Um, there were like little cafes and then on the way over walking to the, um, koala excursion, there were also like shops and stuff. So I knew that we would have a lot of things to do throughout the day. So we went and we got in line. It was, it was very like, you know, Walt Disney-esque. You just had your line and you like went through the ropes and you like watched everybody get their picture with the koala. Um, they had a little koala like enclosed area because they had multiple because they would switch them out a lot so that the poor thing wasn't being like held all day. Sure. Because you do bad for them, but I was like, I have to hold one. So um, when it was my turn, I was like having heart palpitations because I was so excited. Uh, they handed me the fluffiest like little thing and he just like latched on his claws were like sharp they didn't hurt but like whenever they handed him to me he like dug his claws into my hip into my arm to like hold on to me like I was the tree and then he just like laid his head on my shoulder it was I didn't get to hold him as long as I wanted but you know they had the super long line but it was it was so cool I have to ask did he did he have a name did the koala have a name? If he did, they didn't tell us. It okay. was very like, stand on the footprints, take the koala, smile. Okay, hand this back. And I was like, ah. What else did you do in the uh, this this preserve area? So um, after that, you had to exit through. And it wasn't visible until you got out there. But then there were some kangaroos outside. And they would just hop up to you. Like, they weren't in cages. So, like, you were in, like, a fenced-in area to exit the koala area. And there were just kangaroos, like, hopping around, chilling and, like, laying in the grass. So they had a huge bucket of feed that you could just pick up with your hands and you could walk around and pet and feed the kangaroos, which was so cool. Yeah. Were you a little nervous at first or were you totally comfortable, like, you know, with the kangaroos just out and about next to you? There were, like, no workers. So I was like, wait, are we, like, allowed to touch these guys? Like, are we allowed to play with them? And then I, like, looked around and saw other people feeding and I was like, okay, I guess it's cool. So, like, my first one, I was like, I don't want to, like, kick me. Like, seeing kangaroos, like, kick people and punch people. I don't know. They were very, like, they were very chill. Obviously, they weren't wild. They were in in their, you know, little area. So, there were a couple that, like, you could tell they, they didn't want to be touched. And they had, like, areas roped off saying, like, please do not go past this point. This is an area for the kangaroos to get some space from, from people. So if they wanted to interact with you, they would be on the other side of the rope and they'd come right up to you and eat out of your hand. But if not, um, you could watch them like behind the rope and they had like little toys and little like kind of like jungle gym things that you could watch and video them like playing on and which was kind of cool. So that was really neat. That is very cool. So we are at, we've seen now koalas, we've seen kangaroos, Anything else that you, you got to see and, like, experience up close, animal-wise? Animal-wise, that day, no. Not, nothing like that. After that, we kind of left and just, you know, had lunch at a little cafe, walked around the shops because we had a couple hours to spare before we went back down, uh, down the sky rail to get back down to the train station. And what did you do when you got back to the train station? So when the SkyRail landed, there was another place that we went before we got on the train. And I cannot say this word. Chapukai Aboriginal Culture Center. Okay. It, it, was, it was like an Aboriginal um, center where it was very, this was also very cool. Um, they were, you know, dressed 
in their Aboriginal gear. Mm -hmm. And we went into the culture center. They painted our faces. They gave us like some face paint. Um, And then we went into a big like, I don't even know how to explain it, like a circular room. And they had a light show that explained, um, you know, how the earth came to be and how the, like how their people have lived off the earth and the earth spirits. And it was very, you know, educational to see the, the views and the outlooks of this abor- this particular like Aborigine group. Um, and it was a very well done put through like presentation and it kind of helped us to understand like how they are and in, in connection with nature um, and whenever that was over, they took us outside and they taught us how to throw a boomerang, which I failed epically at. But it did work for other people, which is not me. Really? I'm not. Yeah, it came back. Like they would throw them and they'd come back. Um, and like if if a guy had like a real strong arm, I'm not saying the girls don't have strong arms, but just none of us happened to on this trip. <laughs> uh, like a like a couple guys threw them and they came back. And they would go really far, and then they'd swing back around, which I was like, oh, my gosh, they do work. They're not, like, a fake thing. And then we also learned how to throw spears, like do spear throwing. Those didn't come back, though, did they? That's a joke. Sure did not. Sure did not. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do. I mean, I am curious, though. Um, do you remember, did they say anything technique-wise for the boomerang? Or is it just, like, throw it as hard as you can? You had to, like, throw it, like, kind of like you're, like, skipping a rock in, like, a river. It would, like, turn your wrist sideways and really, like, flick your wrist whenever you were letting go. Yeah. But I apparently didn't do it right, so I might not be the best person to ask because it didn't come back for me. How did your spear throw? Was your spear throwing a little better? It was. My spear throwing was pretty good. My spear throwing game was pretty good. They gave us, like, the spear was, like, taller than me, um, but then they gave, like a like, a wooden stick that you had to, like, rest the spear on. And then whenever you threw it, you kept a hold of the wooden stick and the spear went flying. So that was pretty neat. And they showed you how to like follow through and how to start. It was, it was cool. And you got a couple tries. That's awesome. So after you throw or after you attempt, well, I guess you threw the boomerang and just didn't didn't come back. So after you threw the boomerang and you threw the spear, what did you do next? We, after that, we kind of just, Got back on the train. We had the train ride home. And the train ride was about an hour and a half. Um, But, like, on the way up and on the way back, it was gorgeous. There were, like, waterfalls. And it was, like, all through the mountains. And on the way back from the train ride, we did stop. And we took some pictures of, like, we were, like, essentially, like, riding up some cliffs. And we would get to go over to a fenced area, take a picture of, like, the waterfalls and the beautiful cliffs. So it was a lot of sightseeing on the way back. Um, stopping multiple places and uh, there was actually a rainforest in this in this area so we uh, rode through some of the rainforest and there was an area where you could get off and kind of walk through and look at some like the canopy trees before you got back on um, which was really neat and after that we just kind of went home we ate dinner at the hotel and then we took a shower and just kind of went to bed for the night because it was a really long day of being outside and the next day was a travel day. The next day was... So before we get to the next day, you I feel like you accomplished a lot in day four. I mean, did you... Were you drained? Were you mentally exhausted? I mean, I guess yeah. talk about that. You, by this point in time, you're finally like starting to get over your jet lag, but you're now being tired because you're like, oh my gosh, we're like up at 7 a.m. and we don't get back to the hotel till like nine at night. 
and it's exhausting. And especially whenever you're over here, I believe Cannes was a 15 hour time change. So we of course wanted to FaceTime our families at nighttime and just tell them about everything we did. But I would be calling my parents like in my PJs ready to go to bed and they'd be answering the phone, waking up in the morning, brushing their teeth, like because their day was just starting and my Friday was ending. So I was about to go into the next day and they were just starting the day that I just had. So that was so weird, like being like, oh, I already lived this day, but you guys enjoy it. (laughs) That is weird. Over there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's it for day four, right? So we are now on to day number five. So we flew to Sydney. Uh, Sydney was absolutely gorgeous. If it wasn't on the other side of the planet, I would probably move there. But I don't know that I can handle the travel to live there. Um, Sydney was, uh, this is where the weather did start to change. I would say it was like, it was in the 50s. So it wasn't like freezing and there wasn't snow. But you definitely wanted to be in like long pants and then like layers on top. Because when you were outside, it was chilly. But when you were inside, you were like, you know, normal. I would say it's like a nice, like cool fall day. That was our weather there. Um, We arrived in Sydney um, like late afternoon. So whenever we got there, we, of course, checked into our hotel. We had to take a bus from the airport to the hotel We took a minute to just get settled in. And then Sydney the first day was just kind of like getting settled in. And then we just took a walking tour. Uh, So we, of course, like got to walk past the Opera House and see the Sydney Harbor Bridge and, you know, see all of the things that we were going to do. But we didn't do any of them that that first day. Can you talk a little bit more about you did this walking tour and you saw the Opera House, which is the iconic building that we all think of when we think Sydney? Were there any other buildings, I guess, or how, how did the city look? What stuck out to you? Um, the city, it was. I was fascinated how clean it was because um, I grew up close to Pittsburgh and, you know, we have the three rivers, but anytime that I was in Pittsburgh or if I was in New York, like there was, you know, trash laying around and like you looked in the water, it looked murky and there was sometimes trash It just every part of the city was just clean, like. I mean, we were in like the main areas, but I was shocked at how like well kept the city was and everything was very like new looking. Um, and we did take some back tours and of like we kind of she called it walking the rocks. Like we walked under the bridge and we walked like kind of across the harbor from the the opera house. And there was like a little like cave, like a rock cave that was like like near a hiking area. Um, there were some like old hidden bunkers that she had shown us that were now used as part of the base of the Sydney Harbor Bridge. So we just kind of like learned random kind of, I want to call it useless knowledge, but random useless knowledge that was neat to know. Now I have it, but I don't know that I'll ever use it again. Um, and we just kind of like saw some, saw some different sites. Neat. So how long did this tour take or like when did you finish the tour? We walked for about two hours and then we were exhausted. So after that, we um, went to a little cafe, had dinner. And then for that night, we were like, we're just going to go to bed. We just need to be rested so that we can be up for the next day and and be ready to go. Because we had a lot of things on our agenda for Sydney. 
Cool. So that is it for day five, right? Yeah. Day six. Day six was um, a lot of things. We had a driving tour of Sydney. So we just kind of drove on the bus and there were like different statues and different things. And she just told us what they stood for. Um, we, we once again just had breakfast in the hotel. We always just would have breakfast in the hotel, like whatever was provided. Um, they do have like, a one of those observation towers in Sydney. Like I know, um, Toronto has one and, um, like Seattle has one. So we got to go up into the top of the observation deck and we got to like look around and take pictures, which took about like two hours by the time that we waited and then rode the whole way up the elevator and bought our tickets and stuff to do that. Um, we then got to go to an opal museum. So in Australia, opal is like their national stone. So we went to, um, a museum where they basically just kind of talked to us about like how they get their opal. And then there was like a jewelry store that had like really pretty little like opal necklaces. There were some that were, you know, affordable that we bought. And then there were like million dollar pieces in there. So we were kind of like, you know, looking at and be like, Oh, we're going to get that one. Can I really quick. Can I ask, um, for those that might not know what opal is, can you maybe describe the color and, and kind of what it looks like a little bit? Yes. The opal's like, um, it's like a gem and it's kind of like a cloudy color. Um, depending on what, what shade of opal there was like black shade, like a black opal that almost looks kind of like a, like that galaxy print that's really popular right now. There's, um, like a pretty like mint green teal opal, but it's just very, there's not too much shine to it. It's very like cloudy looking and almost has like a, I don't want to say a marbleized like look, but it's not like a beautiful shiny gem like you would imagine like in a piece of jewelry that you'd see. And it's, you know, in the rocks and they pull it out and they put it into the jewelry, which is really cool. The opal uh, that they had that I they had a lot of like navy blue opal, but there's white opal, blue opal, there's black opal. There's just different shades. And I'm sure that the shade probably means something about its like worth and its price. Mm-hmm. but I'm not exactly sure on, on the pricing of that and stuff. Neat. So is there anything else that maybe stuck out to you at this Opal Museum? Um, we weren't there very long, but I mean, I just thought it was really cool that we got a chance to like take a look at their national symbol of something because I would have never known that Australia was known for Opal. I mean, I think of Australia, I think of the Opera House and their accents and the kangaroos but I never would think of Opal, but now I do. Like anytime I see Opal, I'm like, oh, that's Australia's jam. That's cool. Yeah, that's neat. And that's, so is that, that's something you actually learned while you were over there. Yes. Cool. So after the Opal Museum, what is the next stop? So after the Opal Museum, I don't remember which day this was. So I'm going to go with, we went to the zoo. So there was a zoo called the Taronga Zoo. Um, And they had a very, like, educational standpoint. There was no um, holding of koala bears here. But in Sydney, this zoo, um, we started out, you know, it's like a place where they set up field trips for their kids. We got to go into, like, a little tiny mini little theater that had little benches. And one of the zoologists came out and she's like, I'm going to show you three animals today. Like, you're not going to know what they are. The first animal that she brought out was um, an owl. And the owl was 
not able to fly. They had it in, um, they were helping it heal. And she like, pat, like brought the owl around. It was on her arm and we got to pet it. The next one she brought out was a snake. Was not a fan, but I touched it <laughs> to say I did because I take risks when I go on, when I go on trips. Do you remember Mine what kind of snake it was by chance? Or can you describe what it looked like? It wasn't that big. It was a pretty tiny snake. I mean, I feel like it was like a black, but there was probably other colors on it. But it was just like wrapped around her arm. And I would say it's like no different than the size of a garden snake. So it wasn't like anything that was going to like kill me. But I'm just not a snake person. So I was like a little, I was a little disconnected when she was talking. I was like, oh God, I have to touch it. So, <laughs> but you did it. Yeah, we, I did. I touched it. I touched it. Nice. Uh, the last one that she brought out, she came out and she was holding a bag. And I was like, hmm, what's in the pouch? And of course. Wait, wait, can I take a guess? Can I take a guess? Yeah. Yeah. Was it a spider? No. Okay. Think of a pouch. What comes in a pouch? What lives in a pouch? A joey, a little kangaroo. Joey. It was a baby joey. So this was one of the joeys that, um, unfortunately, the mother had left it too early and it wasn't ready to be out of its pouch. So she, you know, pulled it out and it was wrapped in a little blanket. It was so teeny tiny. Um, we did get to pet it. She brought it around and we got to pet it and touch it. And Basically, like they're caring for it until it's healthy enough to be on its own and not need to be in the pouch anymore. So she brought out those three animals and we just got to kind of interact with them. She told us their name and explained, you know, to everybody why why she was carrying it in a bag. Um, and then after that, we just kind of got to go around and look at all of their exhibits. Um, they had koala bears. They were extremely active because we got to watch them during feeding time. So they would like be like crawling from like branch to branch and they'd hop over each other. I have all of videos on that. I can share there. I was like, Oh my gosh, they're so active. Um, they had, um, a kiwi, which is a bird. It's like a, a bird that's known, like that's known very well in like Australia, New Zealand. And we got to see that it was very, very big. Um, they had, I'm trying to think. They had like some like they had a warthog. They had all of their like marsupial animals. They did have a feeding kangaroos section again. They had little penguins. So just kind of, you know, your regular run of the mill zoo, but with marsupials also mixed in there because of the area that we were. And that was how we closed out our day then was the zoo. Would you say that the zoo was well done from the uh, point of view that they did, you know, like it was really um the information was displayed well and, and you feel like they, you know, kind of taught you a lot. You got a lot of good information. Do you think they did a good job there? Yeah, it was very nice. And it wasn't like a huge zoo. Like if you're thinking of, you know, the national zoo here, the zoo was very tiny. And so everything was very like kind of laid back. The cages weren't like these, you know, miraculous, ginormous things. It was just a very like cozy cute little zoo that you could walk around but it's definitely not a a full day excursion because it was um very it was a very small like cute close-knit zoo that to go to cool so that is the end of day six right after the zoo yeah. yes all right we are six days into alex's adventure which means there will be a part two next week be sure to tune in to catch the rest of alex's journey in australia and new zealand She's going back to Australia and New Zealand in 2022, and I'm including a link that allows you to sign up to travel to the land down under with Alex as your group leader. I mean, who wouldn't want to travel with Alex? 
So go check out that link. And also click the link to register for this virtual event with Cynthia Johnson. Remember, it's about building your personal brand. And I think that's something we can all work on. Finally, if you want to start your own podcast, I definitely recommend using Buzzsprout. You can get started by viewing the link in the show notes. And if you sign up for a paid plan with Buzzsprout, you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card. Remember to check out Destinations Beyond Expectations at www.dbetravel.com. Keep rating and reviewing the show if you enjoy what you hear. And tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend that this is one of your favorite podcasts. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Thank you for joining me and I will talk to you soon. Destinations Beyond Expectations is brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. If you need help planning your next student group trip, Kaleidoscope Adventures is the name you need to know. Visit them at www.mykatrip.com or give them a call at 800-774-7337 when you're ready to plan your next school trip. Again, that's www.mykatrip.com or call them at 800-774-7337.